Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here and. TGIF, thank God it's Friday. I need a weekend, even though I don't get the weekend off. You never do. Uh, Of course. (laughs) And and with us in the studio, we have two common sense uh, Democrats and one common sense Republican. We got Judge Richard Weinberg, Governor David Patterson, and we have Borough President Vito Fasella. Welcome, guys. How are you guys doing? Happy to be here. Thank you, John. Good to be with you as always. And, my and and we have my uh, my sidekick, uh, Lydia Serrani, and we have one great show today. What do we have? We do. We are going to be speaking with Captain Gary Yuri Tabak. He is in an undisclosed location. He's going to tell us what's going on on the ground in Ukraine. We'll also be speaking with Larry Kudlow because the prices or energy prices are out of control. That we got the new jobs 115, report. One sixteen today on a barrel. And then we'll talk to Professor Alan Dershowitz about Bill Barr. He's really going after Trump. And then, of course, Dr. Peter Mikolos. He's got the latest medical advancements. But first, I understand uh, we have uh, uh, Ambassador Bolton. That's right. That breaking news from Ambassador John Bolton. He has the latest on the Russia invasion of Ukraine. Let's go to Ambassador Bolton. With us today is uh, Ambassador John Bolton and uh, uh, we're going to ask him for a report of where the heck are we in uh, the Ukraine and Russia. Things are very fluid. They're moving. Uh, and uh, Ambassador, uh, how are you today? Well, thanks for having me on. I must say, I think the situation in uh, Ukraine is very, very critical. As you say, it's fluid and fast moving. But uh, right now, despite the heroic resistance of uh, the Ukrainian military and the Ukrainian people, Uh, Nearly all of the uh, forces that Russia had been stationing around the borders of Ukraine are in the country. Uh, They've uh, they've begun to have some success. The Russians have in the southern part. You know, as we've talked before, I think they want to take the entire southern part of the country and uh, get control of the Black Sea and the port of Odessa. And they're having more success there than elsewhere. Uh, Negotiations between the Russians. Uh, And the Ukrainians have not really come up with any progress other than some humanitarian uh, uh, provisions to get refugees out of contested areas. But, you know, that's a that's a big problem in and of itself. Right now, you've got by the U.N.'s estimates uh, over a million refugees out of the country in places like Poland and Hungary and another million displaced persons inside Ukraine with predictions of up to a total of five million refugees, which would be catastrophic for Ukraine and, and, and the neighbors as well. So I think the prospects are pretty grim of, uh, of the hostilities continuing. They're not going at the pace that the Russians wanted, but uh, it's kind of an inexorable uh, unfolding of events here. On Friday, the uh, NATO foreign ministers met and uh, were absolutely clear they're not going to have a no-fly zone. Uh, Secretary of State Blinken said a no-fly zone could result in World War III. So, you know, we have a very disturbing circumstance that the United States and our NATO allies failed to deter Russia from invading Ukraine to begin with. And now the Russians are deterring the United States and NATO from doing a no-fly zone. So it leads to the question, who's in charge here? And I'm afraid the answer is Russia. Well, they got... uh... Uh, they put everybody against the wall, and they're threatening. And they, and he, Putin has even threatened that his finger—he does have a red button. Uh, but I, I hate to underestimate him because I didn't—I never thought that uh, Putin was going to uh, actually invade. I thought he was just uh, rattling the uh, uh, the trees a little bit. Uh, his generals would, would they obey his order to press the red button? Well, I think, look, I, I agree with you. I think any time 
a nuclear power makes a threat about its nuclear weapons, you better take it seriously. But I've looked at this very carefully. And, you know, since Putin made that threat just from publicly available sources, uh, satellite pictures and the like, there's no evidence any change has taken place in the disposition of any Russian nuclear forces. Uh, and my conclusion is it was it was a bluff, really, uh, to, to make us concerned. Uh, you know, you, you made another important point about uh, uh, the fact that Putin invaded in the first place. I still don't think that his objective is to take control of all of Ukraine. As I mentioned a moment ago, I think he wants the southern part, and I think he wants the eastern part. These are the parts of the country where the people are Eastern Orthodox, primarily Russian Orthodox, where they are primarily Russian speakers, as opposed to much of the rest of the country, which speaks Ukrainian and which is Roman Catholic in faith. Um, so if, if that's right, that, that is the kind of way Putin could see this ending, that he's gotten what he wants, and he says, I could have taken all of Ukraine, but I'm not going to. And then the sanctions disappear and we're back to business as usual. That, that's, that may be where he wants to go. Uh, I, I understand that when we, when we talked earlier in the week, uh, we talked about maybe Chancellor Merkel, who was very close to Putin, would go over and uh, try to uh, come up with an exit strategy that, that he'd be happy with. Have you heard anything to that effect? No, uh, there there was speculation about a possible mediator. I mean, even Xi Jinping of China was mentioned as a mediator. He's not. He wouldn't be my choice. But uh, I think that talk has kind of died away in general uh, as we reach the end of the week. And I think I think the reason is people see that Putin is at this point not in a mood to negotiate. Look, he the Russian army has not performed well in the first week of the invasion. I think everybody agrees on that. And I think Putin and his generals need to rehabilitate, restore their reputation, which is not good news for the Ukrainians. But he's not going to negotiate. Putin won't do that if he feels he's in a position of weakness. Ambassador Bolton, uh, thank you so much uh, for giving the American people an update. And uh, uh, let's see what happens. It's a day-by-day, -day, uh, like you said, it's a very fluid situation. Uh, but thank you for yep, being sure. there and advising the American people. Well, it sure is, and uh, good to be with you again, John. Thank you. Well, we're back, and uh, that was we're back, and uh, that was one interesting uh, talk we had uh, uh, with Ambassador Bolton, and he thinks it's very fluent, and he thinks it's day by day situation. So we might have him back on Sunday morning, and we'll 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 see what happens. And I understand somewhere hidden somewhere our next guest, uh, we're not allowed to say where he is because we don't know where he is. Right. Uh, but he's someplace out there. Due to safety issues, he's somewhere in Europe in an undisclosed location. Now on the line for us right now is Captain Gary Yuri Tabak. He served as a chief of staff for the NATO military. How are you, Captain? Good, good. Thank you. But I just I am a retired captain and I served uh, as a chief of staff, uh, not the entire NATO. But thank you very much for promotion. Under which NATO under which NATO chief were you uh, with? I was uh, with a, uh, uh, a representative in Mas in uh, to Russia, NATO rep representative to Russia. So, was that when Admiral uh, Stavridis was there or uh, General Wesley Clark? No, no, no. I, I was there when uh, 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 I was there. I was there. It's embarrassing to say I don't remember now, but I was there from 2008 to 2011. Okay. Okay. So uh, tell us, what are you hearing about what's going on in Ukraine? We saw that video of the nuclear. How how could that be possible? Like that is just well, so, I mean, that's like a suicide mission to bomb a nuclear power plant. Wait, wait, wait. Well, we uh, don't know if it was uh, really well, being bombed or we don't know if it was a, a make-believe bombing. Right. What do you, what say well, you? Okay. Well, this is what I know. And, and, uh, uh, what I know, what I heard is uh, that it was it was a tank bombardment of the nuclear plant, and they hit a training facility, and that caught fire, and you know, and then they took over it, and uh, uh, and they they put the fire out. But uh, to say, I mean, the same thing they did. They took over the Chernobyl facility. I mean, and I think it is crazy to do something like that, fire on their reactors, but it shows to, or, or bombing civilian cities and blowing them up. Uh, 
uh, and using tanks and artillery and aviation on, on the cities in the middle of Europe. I mean, that's bizarre. So I'm not a psychiatrist, but my mother was a psychiatrist. And she said a long time ago that Putin is uh, a paranoid psychopath and, uh, you know, like Hitler, like Stalin, like anybody who had uh, uh, too much power for too long, it poisons them. And they, they become, they live in a different world. They live in a bunker and uh, in a different world. So what uh, their honorable uh, Ambassador Bolton was saying and saying, you know, he wants this part or that part. He wants to negotiate. And he's in a winning position or losing position. You know, I don't, I don't, I disagree with all due respect to the ambassador. I disagree with him because we're dealing with a, with a lunatic and uh, uh, trying to, to find a way to speak to him as though he has some sort of a reason or his ability to negotiate. No, paran- paranoid uh, uh, psychosis, as I understand, is uh, they will never be uh, except belittling or humiliation, or insults, or losing, I mean, in their own mind, or any kind of abuse. And if Hitler or Stalin had a nuclear button, they would have pushed it. They would have never accepted any kind of a defeat. So the only way to deal with this guy is, uh, uh, I believe, the way what was suggested by uh, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, right. Um, There's no other option with this guy. He's not going to stop. And if you think that just because he's going to get eastern uh, Ukraine and leave the western Ukraine alone, and that's it, and we're back to business as usual, well, I mean, come on. It's uh, 1939. You know, let's give uh, Hitler a little bit of Czechoslovakia, you know, let him split Poland with with Stalin. Maybe he'll come down. Maybe it will be enough. Okay, let him kill the German Jews, but not, and then he won't kill other Jews. No, I mean, this is, I think, fantasy that you think that you can rationally deal with someone like that i I don't think so i think um i I think the world has to wake up trying to think that we're not in world war three is at this point uh i think is pure stupidity or cowardness we are in world war three we need to engage i mean he's firing on come on tanks are firing on a nuclear facility i know there's some scientists some physicists i'm not who are saying, just let me finish this stuff, that uh, saying that, uh, you know, no, this is safe and uh, those facilities and reactors are built so they will stand this and it could be only like uh, in Japan that happened. Um, my experience with, uh, you know, with, uh, uh, with the senior staff, in other words, the senior, senior generals, and they're always in touch with the generals on the other side of Russia. So I wonder how those discussions are going. And, that's, uh, uh, and will one of the Russian generals take out Putin? Who knows? Well, look what happened with Mussolini. Remember that? When they well, hung him look up what ups- happened to Hitler. Mm-hmm. Well, Mussolini, they hung him upside down in the middle of the square and beat him up, remember, uh, beyond recognition. So you never know. That could happen to uh, Putin, too, where his own people turn on him, God willing. Well, they took away his $50 billion in Switzerland. So. Mm. The other $50 billion is in Bitcoin sometimes. But I, I I think Putin won't stop at just uh, some parts of Ukraine either. Unfortunately, I don't think so. Unfortunately, in Italy or even in Germany, and I'm myself Jewish. I'm not uh, very you know I'm not very fond of this. My my grandfather was an Auschwitz a survivor, but the uh, uh, in Germany there yeah there were a lot of bad people. There were assassins. There were Gestapo. There were all kinds of people. But there were also people with honor. There were also people that, that the officers that uh, that lived by uh, uh, by the oath, by by serving the people. Germany. There were honorable people. There were uh, and like General Beck, like Field Marshal Rommel, like uh, Colonel Stauffenberg. In Russia, in the last hundred years, they have destroyed. There is nobody like this. There is no such understanding. There is no such genetic pool. Anybody who was anyone were killed in gulags, were killed in World War II, were, uh, were genocide during the communist era. 20 there, million there Russians died in World War II. Generation, well, that's what they say. Some people say 40 million. They say some people say 100 million, that Stalin killed 100 million people. During his rule, 100 million Soviets were, were killed. So, I mean, I think that uh, the... Uh, the genetically it's just changed there is no such thing so i don't think 
there are people there that will be able to take on Putin or or have enough guts or uh, honor to take them out. It's not, unfortunately, it's not Germany. Unfortunately, it's not Italy or anything else. There's too many generations that have been raised as as, as serfs, as slaves. Well, thank you so much, Captain Gary Yuri Tabak. Thank you so much for your insight. And uh, we look forward to speaking with you again real soon. Thank you so much. Sure. And uh, why don't we talk about amongst ourselves? There's so many things going on in New York. I want to tell you guys about the crime. We're going to come uh, at about 525. We're going to come back with uh, Larry Larry. Kudlow and find out what's really going on in the markets. But with us today is uh, the borough president from Staten Island. And and, uh, Mr. Borough President, uh, what the heck is going on in Staten Island? Give us an update. You've been borough president now for eight weeks. Well, uh, I mean, Staten Island is still uh, safe and strong, John, and we got to keep it going and keep the keep things going in the right direction. But I think a lot of people, frankly, are sitting in front of their TV screens on a continuous basis watching what's going on in Ukraine, and there's a tremendous, I think, solidarity with the suffering that's occurring there, uh, the the sacrifices that are being made, the strength by some of the Ukrainian leaders. And not like it, most people across the country, or probably across the world, are just in shock at the atrocities that are being displayed against innocent people, young children, women, uh, parents being separated at the border. So really, you know, that's sort of like the big thing going on. And I think it's also important that we stand united and not just have the typical rusty rhetoric of stopping this thing, but giving the Ukrainian people the tools they need to stop this. I understand there's a few Ukrainian churches in Staten Island. Tell us about it. There is. There is a growing Ukrainian population on Staten Island. And uh, like them, they have family members there. I know some good friends of mine who have been doing humanitarian missions uh, back and forth to the Ukraine for almost 30 years. And they are just in a state of shock as to what's happening. And we, we will be with them. We've reached out to the community already. And like most folks, as I say, we, we stand in solidarity to do whatever we can uh, to help them here and overseas. And, uh, you know, Margo is, uh, my wife Margo is uh, a Ukrainian, Russian-Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. And um, she swears, she thinks she's more Ukrainian than Russian. But, uh, and she, I think, a little bit of Polish blood, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judge, anything to say about uh, Ukraine before we take a break? I think uh United States and the Western Alliance has not done nearly enough. Mm-hmm. I think it's a shameful period in our history. We're going to look back both in regret and shame. I think this is the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of uh, this imperialistic adventurism by Putin. And what makes you believe that he's not going to go after the Baltic states next? When he makes the Western civilizations succumb to nuclear blackmail, as he's doing, then what stops him from making other demands on Baltic on Poland. Yeah, I just want to add one one thing, and that is the same mindset, like in the state of New York, that gives us so-called bail reform, where uh, people who commit violent acts are not held accountable for their consequence. If we take it to the international level, it's almost the same way of thinking. It's like the international version of bail reform, where somebody's doing something violent and terrible, and we expect there to be a consequence. And to the judge's point, we're not really seeing any. But I and, think Putin is 20 years of a monster in the making. I think it's easy to say. I think we've much long. I'm just at least yeah, 20 years in the making. We've been, he's been so emboldened because he holds the world. Like John always says, oil is what? Liquid gold, right? Yeah. And, and when you, the he, whole world. He took, is, he took Crimea. Nobody said anything. He took, that's right. He took, uh, Georgia. Georgia. It's nobody said anything. It's like the Protestant theologian said, first they came for the, uh, mm-hmm. for the trade unions and no, I wasn't trade unions. So, so, Nobody, I didn't say anything. And then they came for the communists and didn't say anything. I wasn't a Jew and I didn't say anything. Then they came for me and there was nobody to say anything. There's nobody left. And, that's, and there's nobody left. It was, true in, it was true in the 1930s and 1940s. It's true today. Well, we also talk about the crime here in New York, specifically on the subways. And just a short time ago, John Katzmatidi spoke with the MTA chairman. Let's take a little snippet. And it's going to be on the full interview will be on on Sunday. But we figured let's take a little bit. What did you call it? A little snippet. And and Governor Patterson, the MTA, used to report to him. So he'll have a couple of comments. Let's play that snicker. I advocated to Governor Hochul and I advocated to Mayor Adams. Uh, instead of having those 
gates uh, so nobody gets pushed over, uh, and that's seven billion dollars. Let's put a let's put a cop on every subway. Let's put a a cop on every platform like we had uh, thirty years ago when we had problems. Uh, what say you? Uh, you know what? I, I think you're onto something, John. I have been advocating when when the, before Eric Adams came in, I was pushing the city, the city hall, to put to move the cops that are in the system. And we got over a thousand transit cops. I want to see them on the platforms and on the trains. That's where the riders feel vulnerable. That's where the riders are feeling like the situation had deteriorated a little bit. Eric Adams heard me. He heard New Yorkers. He agrees. Put the cops on the trains and on the platforms. Um, Whether we can put one on every train and every platform is still an open question, but the principle has been embraced by City Hall. Remember, Adams was a transit cop. He actually believes that that it's important for people to see uniformed officers on the train and elsewhere in the system. That's a huge step forward um, that we really welcome. Wow. Uh, and again, that full interview will be on Sunday, the Cats Roundtable at 8.30 a.m., right, John? Yes. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, uh, and we got back Larry Kudlow in about a minute. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Well, we're back and with us uh, today, like every Friday, to give us a recap of the week and a recap of where, where the heck we are. Uh, as we have one of the, our country's top economists, we have with us uh, Larry Kudlow. How are you, Larry? I'm good, John. Thank you. Tell us. I mean, uh, uh, we got some roller coaster ride on uh, in the markets, and and then the jobs uh, numbers came out, and then, uh, the interest rates are not going up as much as we thought. What say you? Well, look, um, I think a couple things. I think the stock market has held up. Pretty well. Pretty well. I mean, it was down this week. It's been down for four straight weeks. But the levels, you know, the Dow's at 33,614, the S&P's at 4,329. Those are still very sturdy levels. I mean, oil prices have jumped way up because of the Ukraine story, 115 West Texas, 118 Brent. And the jobs report today was uh, very good, better than expected, although it was a little sloppy on the wage side. But you're still in an inflationary boom. You still have strong profits. But, John, there's some crazy things going on out there. I mean, really, uh, when are we going to stop importing Russian oil? Mm-hmm. When, for heaven's sakes? That's point number one. Point number two, the Biden administration today says there's no plans to increase oil and gas production. That's with $115 a barrel, which is insanity to waste. Insanity. Yes. And then, and then finally, apparently they're very close to a new deal, a new nuclear deal with Iran, which is absolutely crazy, sitting across the table with Russia, rewarding Russia. And by the way, uh, the sanctions will be taken off Iran if the deal is real. And that means... Here, think of it this way. We're buying Russian oil. We're buying Iranian oil, but we're not producing American oil. Now, that is just it's crazy. It's crazy, crazy. And, and Iran, by the way, uh, Larry, Iran announced today, uh, didn't announce, announced, but they said today, oh, the deal is done uh, with the United States for us to get the money. Yeah, I know. I know. They're talking about $11 billion. Uh, for four hostages. Well, the uh, terrorists needed the money. Yeah, well, that's where the money is going to go. Iran's the biggest monster of terrorism in the Middle East, for sure, maybe around the world for all I know. Uh, it's a it's a Marxist military run. It's not some mullet theocracy. It's run by the military, by the Revolutionary Guards. I mean, Trump was right to pull the plug on that deal in 2018. By the way, the latest report from the U.N., is that they're even closer to nuclear weapons. They're even closer to nuclear weapons. And, of course, they lie, cheat, and steal. They won't let the inspectors inspect. I mean, I think the Biden administration is just nutty to go through with this. This whole, you know, their oil policy, 
their foreign policy, their security policy. None of this makes any sense. Um, Zelensky is apparently going to do a virtual call with the U.S. Senate. I don't know who's going to be there. That's going to be tomorrow. We need to help this guy as much as we possibly can uh, without putting our military in, of course. But um, Biden's foreign policy is just awful. The Iranian deal is awful. Why we're not tougher with Russian oil is beyond me. Why are we still waging war against American fossil fuels? You know, we could be producing up to 13 and a half, 14 million barrels a day. And that would go a long ways towards cutting back oil prices. I know why oil prices are up because of the war, but the fact is we could be recalibrating that if we had a sensible all of the above, not waging war on fossil fuel, everything, nuclear, oil, gas, coal, uh, wind turbines is fine, solar is fine, electric cars is all fine, let the markets decide, but they're not doing that. You've got these crazy left-wing radical greenies, and we're paying a cost for that. We Larry, are paying a cost I for that. I had lunch with a very senior Democratic senator today, and uh, I said to him, if we turned on Canada, if we turned on Alaska, oil would drop to $60 a barrel, half price. Why are we doing it? And what did they say? He wouldn't answer. Well, the White House, Larry, I want you to listen to this, what Jen Psaki just said a very short time ago. Listen, I want everybody's reaction. The reason why the price of gas is going up is not because of steps the president has taken. They are because President Putin is invading Ukraine, and that is creating a great deal of instability in the global marketplace. Yeah, well, I have I have two thoughts, Olivia. One is my condolences for John for having lunch with a Democratic (laughs) senator. And then and then and then my second point is. Uh, what Madam Saki said is part of the economic illiteracy of this administration. I mean, look, Biden goes and has a State of the Union message uh, whenever it was Tuesday night. And there he's coming back with a whole litany of social spending, which will, again, with deficit financing from the Fed, will simply raise the inflation rate even more. As though we needed that with oil prices doing what they're well, doing. Larry, I mean, it's really not a good story. At $115 a barrel, that equates to $7 a, a, a gallon of gas. Yeah, well, unfortunately, we may be headed for that. I mean, we don't have to be. That's the point. We have phenomenal resources here. We have the most efficient, technologically best, and we have the cleanest natural gas and LNG in the world. Why aren't we drill, 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 selling it around the world, undercutting Russia? All we're doing is helping to finance Putin's war machine. That is all we're doing. That plus the fact that consumers and businesses are going to get creamed by these higher gasoline prices. It's just nutty. It's absolutely nutty. It's It's nuttier than a $3 bill. And the uh, the uh, Arab states, the Saudi Arabians, and the oil-producing uh, OPEC uh, are zillionaires again. It starts with a Z. I, and we saw the highest jump in gas prices overnight since Hurricane Katrina, but this disaster is man-made. And that that, that man has been President Biden and, and the Obama administration. Well, we didn't so have to Putin, get to this point. Putin worked on it, too. Yeah, but we saw the prices Even going without, up well before right. this invasion. I agree with Lydia. Even if you didn't have this situation going on, they were killing. They declared war on an independent energy production in the United States. And Larry, yeah, by the that. way, John had a very interesting call yesterday, too. Remember, I'm not going to say who, but you said it to that person. You said, you know what? Why are we not drilling here? The the We're not going to see it in our lifetime, these green new batteries and vehicles. So stop with the nonsense. You know, the, the great part of that story is with respect to batteries, and the commodities necessary, you know, to put batteries together, lithium and nickel and all that, is that the, the mining to get those commodities will release large amounts of carbon emissions. Yeah. Okay. So to say that the renewables and the so-called alternatives are car- carbon-free is a complete falsehood. It's a complete falsehood. Look, why don't you just let... American innovation and ingenuity 
from the private companies. Let them do what they do. They got us fracking and horizontal drilling. They will figure out ways to have the most efficient, affordable, clean sources of energy in the world. We should not be reliant on Russia or the Saudis or Iran. I mean, we're playing into the hands of all the world's dictators, and it's just driving me crazy. You know, John, John Kerry, I knew John, well, I know John Kerry for years, but John Kerry's negotiating this deal. Rest assured, he's the one that did it during the Obama years. And this is just deja vu all over again. It is a terrible story. And to, to reward Russia and Putin with an Iranian deal right now is absolutely insanity. Insanity. Uh, Larry Kudlow, thank you for everything you've done for America. Continue to speak out for America. God bless you and God bless America. Thanks, John. Yep, you all take care. Bye-bye. And when we come back, we will be speaking with Professor Dershowitz all, all about Bill Barr. Wait till you hear what he is saying and writing about Trump. God, will they just leave him alone already? We'll be right back. John We're back. Lydia, who do we have? Right now we have Professor Alan Dershowitz, just 50 years at Harvard, and he's a Brooklyn boy at heart, and he's with us, uh, what, now we're almost two days a week now here at WABC. Hello, Professor Dershowitz. I love to be on your show. I love your questions. I love your audience, so fire away. Bill Barr. We have a brand, <laughs> Bill Barr, the Attorney General of the United States, who's supposed to be loyal to the president of the United States that he serves, was not really loyal to President Trump. He was loyal to a previous president. Mm. Uh, and it, and it, tell us, uh, who knows the facts of what, what he actually said? Well, he has a book out. And he's saying that basically Trump is broadly responsible for what happens on January 6th. Professor Dershowitz, your take. Well, he had a First Amendment right to make a speech that I disagree with. I wouldn't have advised him to make that speech, but he did use the words peacefully and patriotically. And under a case called Brandenburg versus Ohio, where a neo-Nazi Klan's member was given the right to free speech, certainly the president had a right to say what he said. Did he contribute to an atmosphere which led to what happened on January 6th? Maybe historians will be able to know the answer to that question, but there's no no firm evidence of that. I represent one of the young men who didn't even intend to go in. He was a law school student, didn't intend to go into the Capitol. And then he was basically waved in by the police. He had no intention of doing anything violent. He didn't do anything violent. He just went to the gallery, sat there, left 18 minutes later, and now he's being charged. That's with what happened. Nobody yeah. nobody yeah. wants to admit that in Democratic Party. They, nobody broke down the doors. They, no, the, no, the, 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 the Capitol Police opened the doors and welcomed some people in. And a few hundred yeah. got in out of, out of maybe the 100,000 that were outside. I mean, you know, nobody's telling the truth. But they're blaming Trump for them even being there in the first place. You know, that's but what they're had, trying they to do. The right, but they had the right to be there. Exactly. Peacefully assembling. We have videotapes. And look, how many times have uh, people on the left advocated, you know, protests in the Supreme Court Oh, when Kavanaugh was being... They were confirmed. banging on the doors, Alan. They were, yeah, and, and they were screaming and yelling and literally disrupting. And they weren't even indicted for a misdemeanor. And these people are being indicted for felonies. Some of them are being detained in prison without a presumption of innocence. So, look... How about the night, January? How about the night there were Black Lives Matter or, or mm-hmm. some other organizations were attacking the White House? And they had to uh, take the president of the United States into the secret basements that that exist to protect or them. The times, or the times when Black Lives Matter shut down courthouses in uh, Oregon and burned um, uh, p- uh, cars and uh, took you know, over police, police stations. Cars were attacked. Took over police yeah, stations. Uh, look, you have to have one rule for everybody. You can't have one rule for the right, one for the left, one for Democrats, one for Republicans. And what I worry about is, you know, there is a right to peacefully assemble, and that's what the people originally were doing, peacefully assemble, and petition the government for a redress of grievances. I happen to think they were wrong about their grievances, but, you know, with Voltaire, I may disagree with you, but I will defend your right to say it. There are too few people who are doing that. Look at my former colleague, Lawrence Tribe. He tweets that Tucker Carlson ought to be treated 
and that members of uh, the Senate and House who were who were raising questions about the electoral vote should be indicted for treason. In other words, he would be denying them the right to speak. And more important than even denying people the right to speak is denying people like us the right to listen. If 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 people if Tucker Carlson doesn't have the right to speak, then I don't have the right to listen. I want to disagree with Tucker Carlson. I want to, you know, argue with him, but I don't want to suppress him. You're you're absolutely right. And the other thing is Nancy Pelosi, and nobody's pressing that, refused the 10,000 or 20,000 National Guards people to come in. But now she claims she's not in charge of them. Then who's in charge of them if she's not in charge of them as the Speaker of the House? They're they're actually both in charge, Uh, the Senate Majority Leader and the House Speaker have a seat on this board. Mm -hmm. And at 1 o'clock that afternoon, both of those two people went to the board and asked for the National Guard to come in. That had never happened before, and it became uh, institutional bureaucracy. And by the time they got it straightened out, it was 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Look, historians are going to have to look into this. Roger Stone is now trying to rewrite history. He's trying to say he had nothing to do with January 6th. And there are some videos now available that show he had much more to do with it. We have to get to the bottom of this. I wish there were a commission appointed to do that. You know, in England and Israel and other countries, when you have events like this, they appoint royal commissions, former judges, retired, uh, very, very distinguished people, nonpartisan, to look into it and make a historical record. Today, what's happening is a partisan Democratic committee, the January 6th committee, has no credibility. It has no credibility. It's not going to come up with the truth. It's going to come up with the Democratic truth. And then we're talking about January 6th. We left the whole thing behind. We, we left that Bill Barr's book and Bill Barr uh, was, took the position in his book that uh, – that uh, what Trump is very guilty of many well, many things. Yeah, and he said well, he's unfit to serve as well. Well, but hold on. Go let's, ahead, let's, Judge Weinberg. Come on, tell okay. us what, what you right, said. But let's be clear. Number one, I think the January sixth committee, as Professor Dershowitz has articulated, totally partisan committee. You're not going to get the truth out of that, and they're already mm-hmm. talking beyond their authority when they say that they're criminal. There may be criminal activity by Trump. That's absolutely <laughs> wrong. That's that's a, a hit job on Trump. That's number one. Number two, with respect to what Barr, and I, I happen to respect uh, Attorney General Barr, I think what he's saying too. is that President Trump contributed to some of the atmospherics. Well, guess what? The whole country has been treated to the atmospherics of the crazy left, the Antifas and the Black Lives Matter, the rioting, the uh, anti-police mentality, the anti-law enforcement mentality. There's a lot of responsibly going around for the breakdown of civilization. But if we there want- was no way, and I know you guys respect him, but I feel that there was no way that he was going to make the decisions uh, that he should have made before the election. He waited till after the election. When did he My appoint- opinion. So, when did he appoint to him? That was before, I think it was before, but there were some things that could have been done before. For example, challenging the Pennsylvania change of law that occurred and was completely illegal. And, you know, I don't know if it affected the outcome of Pennsylvania's electoral votes, but the, but Trump was right about Pennsylvania. I don't think he's right that, about no, he's some right of the about other that. States, I agree with he's you. He's right about Pennsylvania. Absolutely. And the attorney general should be, first of all, the attorney general you know, should not be loyal to a particular person. Obviously, after people forget about this, after Robert Kennedy was appointed attorney general, Congress passed a statute saying no more. You couldn't have a brother or a close relative appointed to any position of executive authority by the president. Um, So, you know, we don't want people to be loyal, brother loyalty to the president. We want them. You know who I admire? Alan Dershowitz, you know who I admire? Eric Holder was more loyal to uh, President Obama oh, than than Jesus was to his father God. <laughs> listen, no, I, 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 if I you want to if you want to talk about a bad attorney, but there's no question. Listen, there's no question. You want to talk about a bad attorney general? That was Holder. But Please, if they want to blame Trump for what happened on January 6th, then let's blame AOC and all the radical lefties for all the violence that happened with BLM and the defunding of the police and the cops that were killed. 
then it goes it can go on and on the and American on. American people just want the truth. That's um, it's you know we can't be well, responsible for what it. people they're not do. Gonna get it. I know. Never going to get, gonna it. get it. We don't have a mechanism for discerning the truth. Tragically, Our now if, not. if we go beyond Bill Barr and and, mm-hmm. and everybody should read the book. And Why? Don't, don't believe anything. Why? <laughs> <laughs> the point is to have everybody read every book. No censorship. I agree. No Free censorship. for everybody. Then every American is intelligent enough to make up their own mind. As Thomas Jefferson once said, you put a hard problem to a philosopher or a plowman, you're equally likely to get a good answer from the plowman as long as he has the information. So what we can't do is deny people the right to listen to views that we disagree with. And that's what Professor Lawrence Tribe wanted to do. And that's what so many people today on the left want to do in in colleges and universities where you cannot express views that are different from the mainstream for fear that you will get graded down and not recommended. We want the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help us God. That's why I love the show. And uh, there was one other question we wanted to ask Professor Dershowitz. What else is going on? Baba Yar. Do we want to talk? Two things, Alan. One one is is, we're on the precipice of a new Iran deal, and then there was the attack on Baba Yar. We'd like your comments on that, please. Okay. First of all, the Baba Yar thing. I'm very, very strong supporter of Zelensky. In fact, I volunteered to be his lawyer and to put together a legal team for him. But I think he made a mistake on Bobby R. by not acknowledging that those responsible for the killing of 37,000 Jews in Bobby R. were uh, Ukrainian auxiliary soldiers, not only Nazis. But uh, many Ukrainians were responsible for the killings at Bobby R. and for the killings of hundreds of thousands of Jews. The Ukraine was one of the worst countries in terms of collaboration with the Nazis. And even during wartime, you can't just change the truth that way. And it's important for the whole truth. And Professor David Patterson, in in his position, I was shocked that he wouldn't take the humanitarian position that you just described and sort of act like it didn't happen at all. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And, and, you know, there are are so many issues today. Today, as you saw, the Supreme Court uh, reinstated the death penalty for for the man who helped kill three people, four people, actually, uh, during the Boston uh, shootings. And uh, probably President Biden will commute his sentence to life imprisonment, even though the Supreme Court said he could be he could be subject to execution. So uh, there are so many things happening in this. And and the world is such a complex case. Iran. What about Uh, Iran? You know, I think it's the worst possible time to make an Iran deal, because imagine if Iran had a nuclear weapon. The only reason we can't beat back the Russians, we have the ability to beat back the Russians, but they have nuclear weapons, and you can't take on a country with nuclear weapons, whether it be North Korea or Russia or any other country. And if Iran were to get a nuclear weapon, I have to tell you, what's going on in Ukraine would be nothing. They would try to take over the Emirates, Saudi Arabia. They would try to take over Israel. They would, And the idea that we are giving them a green light to develop a nuclear bomb, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not the day after, I just think is a, a last, terrible mistake. Last I question. Seen the whole deal. Yeah. Professor Dershowitz, last question. Usually yeah. uh, Israel does our dirty work. They go out and take out the uh, all the crap that uh, Iran has. If Israel did that, would Joe Biden back up Israel? Well, I sure hope so. I mean, President Obama promised me that he would, and then I think he broke his promise. Um, I would think that Biden, who really has a soft spot in his heart for Israel, which I think Biden, which I think Obama never did, I think he would understand. I think he would understand that Israel had to defend itself. You know, the head of Iran, Rafsanjani, 20 years ago, said that if we drop one bomb on Tel Aviv, it's the end of Israel because it's a one-bomb country. And we'll kill 3 million people. And then they'll retaliate and kill, 10 kill, and kill 20 million people in Tehran. And Rafsanjani said the trade-off would be worth it because it would mean the end of the, the Jewish state. But Islam would survive losing 20 million people. When you have attitudes like this, you cannot allow that country ever to come close to having a nuclear weapon. On that wow, I wish you a great weekend, and I look forward you to talking to you next week. Me too. Have a good weekend. Thank you. And we're going to talk about Brooklyn soon. Uh, Let's take a break and we're going to come back with Dr. Peter Michalos. But I still want 
uh, Governor Patterson's opinion on the MTA. But let's take that break. You're commuting home with Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis on 77 WABC. Well, we're back and uh, with us. Uh, by the way, this is a TriCast. This is AM 970 The Answer. This is WABC 770 uh, on your dial. And you know what you haven't mentioned all week either? That what? you're the number one show at 5 o'clock and what you number have done. Number one show. We the... have exceeded everybody. It's crazy. And that's not even including AM 970 or 107.1. So it's really incredible. And not, not including Canada and Northern Europe. Uh, and with us right now is uh, Dr. Peter Mihalos. And, uh, Peter, you know, Peter, how are we going to live till we'll be 110? Well, uh, today, actually, uh, we we were going to go over that on uh, the Sunday show. But today I want to talk about something very important for the New York area, that we're really not prepared for mass casualty events. And right now, when I looked at a lot of these different protocols they have, and they all talk about staffing supplies, increased capacity, and they keep revolving about the emergency room and staffing. And one of the problems is during COVID, we lost a lot of people uh, who uh, decided to retire early or left for red states. And I want to propose that we need to start a program that'll cost what one airplane costs for the military to give 100 scholarships to each zip code in New York State to young students based on their decent grades and interview and volunteer work so that they can go into family medicine, nursing, and paramedic training, emergency training, to address the shortage of healthcare workers that we're seeing here in New York. Because if we have a mass casualty event, we could we couldn't even handle a uh, a, a flu a, a have, flu. Have uh, we pandemic. forgiven the thirty thousand nurses that got fired yet? No, a lot of them already left, and I'm seeing it in the community because I see record releases. I've had I've seen the most people going to other states. We've lost so many people to Florida, Texas, South Carolina. And one of the things, too, is communication for politicians listening out there. If the grid goes down, we should have satellite phones that communicate between police, fire, EMS, and hospitals and hospital leadership. One of the things you talked about is they keep – you know, talking about nuclear, nuclear, I'm more worried about things like hypersonic missiles, which go at Mach 5, which could, which could actually take out the entire U.S. fleet in like 48 hours. And nobody likes to talk about it, but it, it would dis- disable a ship even if it didn't take it out completely. And you can't move your air force around the world with hypersonic missiles. And Russia has working hypersonic missiles. So we, we, we talk about nuclear, but in a conventional war, we have to worry about these things uh, as well, too. Moving on to some good news, hospitalizations are down 77% from January 20th when, and uh, for COVID, and uh, 90% of the U.S. population can now dra- drop mask orders. Monday, New York City, you won't need a vaccine ID to get into a restaurant or a dinner event. You still have to wear them on planes, trains, and buses. And Monday, March 7th, they're going to drop the indoor uh, mask order for uh, kids as well, and uh, we really need to get prepared for. Uh, we can't afford to go through another pandemic. We spend eleven billion dollars to get us out of this, and remember that we have thirty trillion in debt, and uh, that's very, and Russia uh, has zero debt. Just about three hundred twenty-three billion and thirty percent of the world's gold reserves. So, you know, put it all in uh, on, in, in perspective. And on Sunday show, you're going to be talking about how you li- can live to be 110 at least. Yeah, we're going to be talking about some of the fascinating new things, including one of the things that one of the professors in California at Stanford's working on is young blood transfusion. We joke around about Dracula and vampires, but it turns out in mice, when they took young blood from young mice and moved it into the older mice who had disease and problems, those mice started getting better and they're going to start doing human experiments. There seem to be some proteins that help regenerate organs in young mammals. So uh, eventually it's going to be worked on with humans, and some humans actually so go abroad. So if my son gave me a pint of blood and uh, I took it, then, then I'll have uh, uh, certain uh, DNA or certain spi- – uh, tell us if, what it is. If we- if you and I were a mice, then it would work. But at this time, it's only been proven in mice. But the reality is that it looks like that might be something. Same thing with stem cells. There's places like, for example, in Antigua, there's a doctor uh, from Illinois who set up down there, Chadwick Podromos, who's actually a lot of well-to-do people, some people we know, 
and you know all kinds of people from uh, you know uh, janitors I know to billionaires gone down there and they've gotten uh, st- mesenchymal stem cells uh, infused right into their blood. And some people swear they improved their vision. Some people said their arthritis went away. So there are these things happening as we speak. It's not approved here in the United States, but it's something that uh, anti-aging medicine is happening as we speak. And they've also identified a gene called the APOE gene. And if you have it, you have a higher chance of becoming a centarian because they found it in the older people. And then they found another gene that you can get genetic testing now that tells you if you have a higher risk for Alzheimer's. So precision medicine, it's not just your routine blood anymore, your CBC, your chemistry. You'll be able to go in for genetic testing, which will tell you theoretically the things that you might be getting in your lifetime and telling you things you can avoid, just like women who have the BRCA gene. For uh, I, I thought you cancer. almost said avoid women. <laughs> no, I said the women who have the BRCA gene. No, women, women rule the world. We know that. Happy wife, happy life. No, we all know talk, the rules. Talk about the BRCA that's gene, right. please. The BRCA gene is a genetic gene marker that's found in women who have breast cancer, and it can be passed on genetically. So when you know about it, you make that decision, just like some famous uh, actresses, as you may have heard about, decided to get what's called prophylactic mastectomy, where they have their breasts removed with reconstruction because they had that gene that said that they would have a 90 plus percent chance of developing breast cancer. And it's a decision, actually, some women quietly make. Isn't it better off they get examined every three months? Uh, Dr. Peter. No, yes, it's great to get examined. Get your during COVID, nobody went for mammograms. Get your mammograms, get your colonoscopies, and get uh, tested and go for an annual physical. Dr. Peter Mihalos, I'll be I'll be glad to listen in on and and talk to you on Sunday. I look forward to living to 110. God bless you and God bless America. And thank you so much. Great, congratulations thank on you. being the number one show. Thank you. Uh, and uh, we got two minutes left, and I'm going to David Patterson. Well, what did you think about the MTA report that's going to be playing this Sunday? Well, I'm sorry I never got to work with Jan O'Lever. I've known him for 35 years. He's an outstanding leader of the MTA. But you'll notice that he did hedge on whether or not you could have police officers on every train in every police station, and so did Mayor Eric Adams. Now, $7 billion is a lot of money to pay for the uh, shields where you the train would pull up and you would then open the door. Well, no, no, it depends how much uh, political contributions they made. Well, but what I'm saying is there are some studies that are coming out that you wouldn't put those those in all the subway stations, but you put it in the stations that concurrently accommodate it. That would relieve the need for the police. And the cost is far lower than $7 billion. Well, we got 60 seconds left. Uh, uh, Borough President Vito Pasella, any uh, quick tidbits? No, I think the good news this week was eliminating the mask mandates for kids in schools. I think they should go and eliminate for all kids. You know, I had the uh, privilege of touring my old alma mater, Monsignor Farrell High School. My boys, Dylan and Griffin, attended. And just ask the kids what it feels like after two years of mass. And they said, it's amazing. So we should give these kids more freedom. We should keep moving in that direction. On the flip side, uh, as a couple of the guests talked about, was the price of gas and inflation combined are bad economics for people, hardworking people. We better fix it. Uh, Judge Weinberg, let's 10 all, seconds. Let's all pray for the people of Ukraine. Let's all pray for the people of Ukraine. But Amen. Also, people in New York and and the people of America, and Lydia Serrani. Slavo Ukraine. That means God save uh, Ukraine. Well, yep. God bless America, God bless the world, and uh, we'll, we'll catch us on Sunday.